Welcome back to another edition of the Disney Dish Podcast with Jim Hill. It's me, Len Testa, and this is our show for the week of Schmerz Day, January 17th, 2022. Happy Martin Luther King Day to everyone. On today's show, news, listener questions, and in our main segment, Jim tells us about Disney's first attempt at a Marvel-themed attraction, the Iron Man Experience at Hong Kong Disneyland. Let's get started by bringing in the man who wants to know how he's supposed to live, love, and laugh in this economy. It's Mr. Jim Hill. Jim, how's it going? Are we keeping the Sondheim thing going deliberately? Because <laughs> that's the big song, the sort of the finale climax crazy part of Follies. You know, Sondheim's show from 71. And we keep forgetting that if we're talking about, you know, that we were a Disney podcast and Sondheim, he did write the songs for Disney's Dick Tracy back in 1990. Did he really? He did. He did. And if you really want to see a great Disney stage show, go to YouTube and chase down Dick Tracy Diamond Double Cross. It was this 30-minute long show that was done for the parks from June to December of 1990. Features all of the Sondheim songs. Totally ignores the storyline of the film, the, the Warren Beatty movie. And Eisner goes to see it in the parks. And that's what makes him decide... We're going to do Beauty and the Beast on Broadway. And in fact, we're going to use the exact same team that did Diamond Double Cross to bring it to the stage. So weirdly important show, at least in the history of the Disney company. That's amazing. Yeah. They actually did two productions of the show. One at uh, Disney MGM and another one at Disneyland Park in the Videopolis Theater. So... Wow. Yep. How, and how, you just knew this because I, th- I threw the thing in there. I was dropped as a child. Like, <laughs> you know, anything of real value, algebra, I got nothing. But song <laughs> lyrics from musicals from the 1970s, that I got. I'm thinking we have to come up with a Jeopardy board, Jim, uh. which is like your five or six categories. <laughs> Theme parks, Sondheim lyrics, we'll come up with other things. Yeah. Uh, you know, just pointless crap. Let, let's just... just <laughs> pointless crap. There we go. <laughs> Man, if Alex Trebek were alive today, there we I would go. pay buddy to hear him uh, announce a category as pointless, pointless crap. crap. There we go. <laughs> That's fantastic. <laughs> All right, Jim, let's do a quick shout out to subscribers over at DisneyDish.BandCamp.com. Thanks to new subscribers, Amy N., Antoinette Fornchell, and Peter Weisgerber. And longtime subscribers, D. Dirk, Jody Franson, and Scott Hasty. Hey, I recognize those names. Jim, these are the talent agents that convinced Olaf the Snowman to return from his tropical island to do character greetings at Hollywood Studios last week. They said they started out by reminding Olaf that he had millions of adoring fans, and when that wasn't convincing enough, that Disney had an almost infinite supply of road salt and wouldn't, you know it, an accident-prone snowplow crew. True story. Wow. People are motivated by different things, Jim. That's what I'm coming up with. What a nice little tropical setup here. It would be a shame if something happened to it. You know, just sort of like, wow. Nice little gig you got here, snowpal. Yeah, holy cow. All right, Jim, on to the news. Folks, the Disney Dish News is brought to you by Storybook Destinations, trusted travel partner of the Disney Dish podcast. For a worry-free travel experience every time, book online at storybookdestinations.com. All right, Jim, we've talked about the cruise that we're doing, the first ever Disney Dish on the Disney Wish Cruise in 2022. Dates are September 23rd through 26th. So we've sold like 60-ish cabins so far, and Disney's given us our last batch of eight cabins. So this is it. 
after this we're done jim i think we originally thought that if 10 people came on this cruise oh yeah we, we, we would be super excited we're now at 60 uh <laughs> cabins which is and you and i you and i said this before the show yeah. we're gonna be dancing bears that, there we go for there four straight go. days damn we have but we have, fortunately we have lots of support and lots of uh fun things planned anyway storybookdestinations.com slash disney dish if you're interested uh like i said i'm pretty sure this is the last set of cabins uh disney's gonna give us in other news uh jim Guardians of the Galaxy has started hiring cast members for ride operations, but Disney has an opening date here for summer 2022. But does that mean because they're hiring people that we might see this on the early side of summer? That's what I'm understanding. That now they are definitely under the gun. Are, are we talking on the, the the show today at all about the Ratatouille changing its queuing? It's next thing up. There's a lot of changes that are happening at the Disney parks, largely because. The 50th anniversary seems to be a misfire. Mm. When's the last time you saw an ad for the 50th anniversary? It's fallen flat. Yeah. And so the notion is, okay, this has to roll out quickly. So they're throwing uh, lots of bodies at it, more to the point they're getting people into train as quickly as possible. I'm hearing May? Ah, okay. That makes sense. Because I've heard the same thing. I've heard earlier rather than later. Yeah. The feeling is we need something out ahead of the big summer travel season. The biggest possible splash. And from Disney's own marketing reps and the test, it's like Guardians is it. Show them a brand new coaster. Show them and, and play up. It's, you know, the biggest thing to be added in Epcot in the history of this theme park. And by the way, once you finish riding on this, you can go out and explore the wonderful new celebration area. That helps. Yep. And then um, what does this mean for Tron? Same sort of thing? The Tron people have basically been told you're on deck. They, they're assuming that Cosmic Rewind will work, that it will, it'll get them past the stumble, you know, of the 50th anniversary. But mm-hmm. this has to be ready for holiday 2022 at the absolute latest, uh, I'm hearing March of next year. March of 2023, but it, uh, okay. Yeah. So we have a chance. We have a chance on both things opening this year. Yeah, but that's largely because the survey work that's come back, the 50th anniversary, and again, seven years of prep and complete misfire with the possible exception of spaceship earth yeah by the way i learned an amazing story about that this week glenn it's power is powered by fireflies (laughs) well actually so much smarter choice the actual light bulbs that you will look at on spaceship earth they actually opted to go to the very same companies that make the turn signals for your car. Oh, because they uh, on and off and they last forever. That's it, exactly. You know, the notion of <laughs> you spend months climbing around inside of this building, screwing in those light bulbs. You don't want to do that again. So you go and get the toughest possible light bulbs on the planet. They're going to be there forever. And the thing that frustrates the folks in entertainment is this got delivered at a so much lower price point and such a tighter schedule than Harmonious or Enchantment or, you know, yeah. they, there's some, some bad blood there, Len. I mean, we, you know, re- regardless of what you think about the, the nighttime shows or the whatever entertainment they rolled out or the costumes or whatever, I think everyone agrees that the lighting on Spaceship Earth has not only been fantastic, but... Mm a real tribute to everything that Epcot stands for. Like well, it's, it's really, really good. It's one of the beacons of magic that's legitimately magic. Yeah. 
I, I do like uh, the Tower of Terror stuff that they did as well. I think that's much, it's it's more subtle. Like the things that I like are much more subtle. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I like that as well. No, I agree. I agree. And speaking of Epcot, Jim, uh, and you mentioned this, Remy's Ratatouille Adventure added uh, was added to the early theme park entry at Epcot. Mm-hmm. And it got rid of the virtual queue adding a standby line. This was all in the last week. It looks like uh, posted weights have topped out around 85 minutes the last few days. So this mm-hmm. is the week of uh, the Walt Disney World Marathon. Actual weights are running within that range too, maybe slightly lower as the day wears on, but not terribly long lines for Remy. I think the fact that it's in the back of the park and has reasonably high capacity and the fact that it's open from the time the park opens to the time the park closes is helping mm-hmm. spread crowds out a little bit there. By the way, are, are you guys also paying attention to the impact this is having on the restaurant there, the new... Uh, 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 Crapery? Yeah. That's a fantastic restaurant. Yeah, it's, it's still difficult to get into, but um, but it's uh, it, it's still possible like during the day in the mid-afternoon, like mm. not around lunchtime, not around dinner time, mm. like, you know, three o'clock-ish though, you might be able to walk in. Oh, okay. Excellent note. Yeah, it's really, really good. And the price, uh, I thought the price for the uh, fixed price menu would have gone up by now, mm-hmm. but it still remains at, I have to check this mm-hmm. to make sure it's true, uh, around $33, which I'm, I'm pleasantly surprised with. Okay. Right. Gonna take it while you can get it. Didn't in the last week we see the price of Dole Whip go up, pretzels, you know, I mean, yeah, incrementally? Up, yeah, yeah. yeah. Fairly large uh, uh, price increases too, but we'll cover that on another show. Okay. I, I think the one thing that people don't realize is the hotel room price increases get a lot of press. The theme park tickets used to get a lot of press mm-hmm. until increases um, got a lot of press until Disney moved to the sort of the rolling window. But food prices have gone up just as much as everything else. But nobody, nobody looks at that because no one plans for it. Mm-hmm. But it's still, it, food is very expensive in Walt Disney World. That it is. All right, Jim, let's do some listener questions. Uh, first one up is, uh, actually, we have a version of this from several people, including mm-hmm. Michelle and Josh. Mm-hmm. And Michelle writes, Happy Schmerz Day. Before the pandemic, we planned to buy uh, annual passes for our family of five. Assuming Disney starts selling passes again, should we wor- be worried about pass reservations? We'd be coming from Michigan, and some vacations might last seven days or more. Locking in those daily reservations would be essential, but under current restrictions, this doesn't seem possible. More than likely, we would stay off-site. I'd love your opinion about whether uh, and if passes might be available and if and when park reservations might go away. So, Jim, let's start with the second half of that. Will park reservations go away anytime soon? Mm, Not with the staffing situation. Unlikely. Unlikely. Yeah. To Jim's point, I'm hearing at any given point now in the middle of the Omicron wave, 20% of staff are out. Ish, you know, uh, depending on where you're at. Uh, That's a lot. So more than ever, Disney really wants to know which parks people are going to on which day. So I think reservations are here for a long, long, long time. Are you hearing anything about annual passes coming back to Jim? I mean, it's linked into the reservations and capacity, right? Because if we've if we've got limited capacity, Disney's come out and said point blank, they're going to favor people from out of state staying on site. It honestly depends on what park you're talking about. I'm hearing from folks who work at Epcot to the effect of, you know, in fact, we have Festival of the Arts starting shortly. A lot of these festivals were built and designed with the notion of we have a healthy local component, folks who own annual passes, mm-hmm. who will come out and see the the artists that are performing at, at the American Gardens Theater. And, you know, they'll, they'll come to do signings, you know, of their favorite Disney artists and that sort of thing. And the notion that 
they can't decide to do this on a Saturday anymore because they need a right. park reservation. It's like you're literally blowing the business plan for our park. And that's what's genuinely intriguing about this because when you look at a, a, an Animal Kingdom or a Studios, which has much smaller capacity than, than Epcot, we genuinely need this. If we, if we didn't put a control on you know how people could get into the park, We'd have a line for Rise of Resistance that went out to the parking lot. You know, a governor and that engine. So uh, it's that's the thing. Different parks have different needs. And there's evidently a conversation in-house to the effect of, okay, take the control off of Epcot after Moana... The adventure uh, uh, of water. journey of water. Journey, yeah, journey of, of water. water. When that opens, we'll make that park just open every day. But if you want to go to the kingdom, if you want to go to the studios, or if you want to go to the Animal Kingdom, that you'll need a reservation for. Oh, that's super interesting. Yeah. So I mean, I, Epcot's the largest park. It makes the most sense for that to be the the park that comes off of the reservation system first. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. when you consider that you know you've got Harmonious sitting in, in the middle there, and you know the whole notion was, you know, everyone was supposed to end their visit. By checking out the special 50th anniversary show. It's fascinating hearing the folks in management talk about this, but at the same time, they're handcuffed by the fact that 20% of the staff that they have... Yeah, they give out, time, yeah. Yeah, are out sick, let alone, you know, the, the all of the positions they still have to fill. Yeah, and, you know, God forbid that the uh, things break the wrong way and, and that 20% becomes like 35% in a subgroup. Mm-hmm. Yeah, then, you yeah. know, like if 35% of your restaurant staff is out, that's problematic, right? Yeah, yeah. All right, Jim, next question from is from Alex, who says, I can't remember the last new Disney ride that had a sponsor when it opened. If, if it did, it certainly wasn't as deep of a sponsorship as anything in Epcot. Does Disney still look for sponsors for rides, and does it affect what they build? I'm sure they still look for sponsors, right? But, does, but on the, the flip side of that coin is sponsors have to be willing to pay Disney's prices in a theme park. Is, is anyone willing to do that now? The problem is the days of when Norway, when, when that contingency got together to sponsor Maelstrom mm-hmm. and the Norwegian Pavilion. And as a direct result of that film you saw at the end of Maelstrom, Norwegian tourism went up by 200% the following year. Oh, yeah. I mean, they could literally point to, we sponsored that and look what happened inside of our country. There are so many cases, for example, the GM test track situation where that blew up in GM's face. They had that issue just before opening and had to push back the opening of that attraction by what, 18 months? Yeah. You know, and that was after all of the posters and the pamphlets had been distributed to every GM dealership in the country. It's a harder sell in today's world, especially with social media. The notion of, well, what do I get for sponsoring a Disney attraction? I think you may have heard this as Iger was headed out the door. He was talking about how if Steve Jobs had lived, mm-hmm. he honestly believes that Disney and Apple would have merged. Really? Yep. Because again, you know, they, they felt like it was a good fit. And what's been interesting about the journey into imagination redo that goes on the table, comes off the table, goes on the table. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I think you and I, you know, even know the the supposed price point of the redo of the Imagination Pavilion. There's been a conversation between Disney and Apple about sponsoring that that hasn't reached fruition yet. But nobody said no. 
nobody said no, but the problem is that nobody's actually said yes yet. And with a redo, which again, I don't want to get into specific numbers, but is somewhat south of 200 million. That's the thing. You need somebody with deep pockets for, for what Disney wants to do to fix a journey into imagination. And in this era, Disney doesn't like spending its own money. You, you mentioned um, you mentioned uh, Disney and Apple. The rumor is that Apple's coming out with some sort of augmented reality, virtual reality glasses uh, later this year. Also, Disney's been working on a ton of stuff around um, AR and VR. Uh, and we'll talk about some of the patents in an upcoming show, but mm-hmm. uh, that would seem like one area where they could work together. Absolutely, absolutely. And, and remember, the Pixar acquisition only came about because Iger in like his first month on the job cut that deal with Steve Jobs so right. that, that a whole bunch of Disney-related stuff could go over to iTunes. Ah, makes sense. Well, folks, remember, Mr. Chapek has finally taken up the reins, so be interesting yeah. to see what sort of deals he's willing to cut. That's the thing, and then who's willing to partner with him. It's true. Mm-hmm. There you go. All right, Jim, last question from Stephanie. Mm-hmm. He says, uh, my husband, daughter, who's 12, and I are going to Disneyland in DCA in March. This will be our second visit, and we'll have more time to enjoy the parks. What are your recommendations for dining reservations? Which restaurants can't be missed? Jim, I went back and looked at the Touring Plans restaurant satisfaction ratings Mm -hmm. for Disneyland, DCA, and the Disneyland Resort Hotels. This is what I came up with. And Jim, I think you and I have eaten at all of these. In fact, we might have eaten at all of these on the same day, Jim. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, perhaps, perhaps, yep. Uh, First one up in Disneyland, the French Market Restaurant. It's the highest rated counter service restaurant in Disneyland. Uh, Here you'll find New Orleans-themed Things I really like the sandwiches, the po'boys mm-hmm. in particular. I like the beef, slow roasted beef one with onions and horseradish sauce. But they've also got like an herb roasted chicken. They've got jambalaya. They've got vegetarian options. They've got soup in a bowl, which that's wet and dry food together. That mm-hmm. that makes me sort of squeamish. Mm-hmm. But if you're going during March, they might even still have the Mardi Gras cake, um, uh, yes, which sounds mm-hmm. delightful. Mm-hmm. So that's one option. The uh, other one, so that's for lunch. For breakfast, I kind of like the Jolly Holiday Bakery and Cafe. Mm-hmm. Have you eaten there, Jim? Yeah, I, I actually love to get, you know, get in the line there, grab a coffee, grab a muffin, and then go outside and just watch the world go by. Yeah. The amazing people speed walking to Peter Pan. Just, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Yeah, I think my favorite breakfast thing here is the uh, bacon, egg, and cheese croissant, uh, um, which you can get with and without fruit. Personally, I think fruit slows me down. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Also, uh, other three highly rated places. I think my favorite place in all of Disneyland, Rancho del Zocalo, 94% thumbs up, Tex-Mex food. That's the place I would eat lunch at if I mm-hmm. had the choice every day. Bengal Barbecue over in Adventureland, 94% thumbs up. This is meat and vegetables on a stick cooked over an open flame. Mm-hmm. Can't go wrong with that. And then Docking Bay 7 in Galaxy's Edge, 93% thumbs up. Serving the Star Wars food, same as in Walt Disney World. In DCA, the Pacific Wharf Cafe is the highest rated counter service place. So soups, salads, and sandwiches. But the thing to look out for here. Uh, Jim, recently they've been featuring this thing called cherry cheesecake bread pudding. <gasps> I like all those words. Oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I've been trying to invent an excuse to to fly out to California for my daughter's 28th birthday. And I, I think you just handed it to me, Lance. There, there it is. <laughs> I, I love you, honey, but we, we got to go. <laughs> <laughs> Let's meet in DCA. There we go. So. I'm in there directly from the airport. Mm-hmm. Oh. Also, Corndog Castle, 92% thumbs up. Corn dogs are a thing. Yep. In Disneyland, Corndog Castle might be the highest rated place. 
And then if you're looking for a drink or a place to relax in the evening, the Carthay Circle Lounge, mm-hmm. highest rated bar there. Jim, the thing that surprised me though, if you look at the Disneyland Resort hotels, none of those sit-down restaurants do better than average in our reader surveys. And I don't know if this is a price point thing or the, or it's food or what, but uh, what? Uh, yeah, none. Not hmm. not uh, Steakhouse 55, not uh, Napa Rose, nothing. Wow. Yeah, um, I was surprised about that. Is that a recent change or is that historic? I've just looked over the last year, so it could be something related to, to reopening. That's hmm. my guess. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, Stephanie, if you go, uh, let us know where you uh, eat and, uh, and how you liked it, please. Cool. Yeah. All right, folks, we're going to take a quick commercial break. When we come back, Jim tells us about Disney's first attempt at a Marvel attraction, the Iron Man experience at Hong Kong Disneyland. It's the new year, people, a time when we all set goals for ourselves, plan on finally getting around to those tasks that we've been putting off for weeks, maybe even months. And in my case, I am loath to admit this, but I suffer from too many subscription syndrome. When you're an entertainment writer and for work, you need to watch shows on Disney Plus and Netflix and Paramount Plus and Hulu. It's kind of a necessary evil. But that said, one of my goals for 2022 is to thin the herd, which is where Truebill comes in. Truebill is a new app that helps you identify and stop paying for subscriptions you don't need, want, or have simply forgotten about. I know, I know. A lot of companies make it hard to cancel subscriptions. That's what's great about Truebill. They make this process incredibly simple. Just link your accounts and Truebill will cancel your unwanted subscriptions in one tap. Your Truebill concierge is there when you need them to cancel unwanted subscriptions so you don't have to. Let me tell you folks, making use of this app can be incredibly lucrative. The average user saves $720 a year by using Truebill. Don't believe me? Listen to what Truebill user Becca L. had to say. Hands down, the best financial app I discovered. In my first week, I opened up $187 in unused reoccurring subscriptions. I'm obsessed. I never want to manage finances without Truebill again. So if you'd like to join the more than 2 million Truebill members who are taking back financial control, go to the App Store or Google Play today and download Truebill today for free. Don't fall for subscription scams. Start canceling today with Truebill.com slash Disney Dish. Go right now. Truebill.com slash Disney Dish. It could save you thousands a year. Can I ask you a personal question? Is there something that's preventing you from achieving your goals? Some issue that perhaps is interfering with your happiness? Well, I want you to start living a happier life today, which is why I'd like to now direct your attention to BetterHelp, which is not self-help, nor is it a crisis hotline, but rather BetterHelp is professional counseling, which then allows you to connect with your own licensed professional therapist in a safe and private online environment. After BetterHelp has assessed your needs and then matched you with the correct counselor, you two can start communicating in under 24 hours. BetterHelp is so convenient. You can get a message to this licensed professional therapist anytime, and you'll get timely and thoughtful responses. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions with your counselor. And all of this without having to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room, which is really a plus these days, if you know what I mean. Better yet, BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches, so they make it easy and free to change counselors if needed. Plus, it's more affordable than traditional offline counseling, and financial aid is available. This service is available to clients worldwide, and BetterHelp has access to a broad range of expertise, which may not be available in many areas. Licensed professional counselors who specialize in depression, stress, anxiety, grief, even family conflicts. 
BetterHelp is convenient, professional, and affordable, and anything you share is confidential. If you'd like 2022 to be the year that you start living a happier life, well, why not join the over 1 million people who are taking charge of their mental health by visiting BetterHelp.com. As a listener to this podcast, you'll get 10% off your first month by visiting BetterHelp.com slash Disney Dish. Again, that's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Disney Dish. This episode is brought to you by Paramount+. Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG-13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. All right, Jim, when you proposed this topic mm-hmm. of, you know, Disney's first attempt at a Marvel attraction, I knew it, I assumed it would be, you know, Iron Man experience. The thing that surprised me is Disney doing this at Hong Kong Disneyland, the least visited and smallest of the parks, right? Yeah, but there is a, a method to the mouse's madness. All right. That actually does play into why this attraction got built there first. I guess we should start by acknowledging that Hong Kong Disneyland has been in the news lately. Local government officials and health authorities ordered that theme park closed on January 7th. It's supposed to open again on the 20th. Talking with friends within the company, they really, really, really hope that they can have the place open by February 1st because that's the start of the Chinese New Year. Mm -hmm. Hugely lucrative period for the company, uh, for that particular resort, those two weeks that culminated on uh, February 15th with the Lantern Festival. But again, because the park was closed on on January 11th, uh, Hong Kong Disneyland didn't get to acknowledge the 5th anniversary of the opening of the Iron Man experience. And as hmm. which, as you mentioned, Len was the very first attraction based on a Marvel superhero to be built at a Disney theme park. There was a Marvel-themed exhibit and character meet and greet that preceded the Iron Man experience, preceded by more than three and a half years. And that was the Iron Man tech presented by Stark Industries exhibit that was up on the second floor of Interventions at Disneyland Park starting in April of, of 2013. But not an attraction, really, more of a walkthrough. Featured things like Tony Stark's Hall of Armor, which had okay. Iron Man suits Mark 1 through Mark 7 on display. Um, though, if you talk with folks at the park, they will flat out admit that the Iron Man tech presented by Stark Industries mm-hmm. had been set up, uh, you know, there at Interventions largely because the studio wanted to promote Iron Man 3, which would be opening in theaters on May 13th of that same year. Okay. So how soon after the mouse acquired Marvel Entertainment in August of 2009, did they start talking about bringing these characters into the park? And Len, you and I know that that was pretty darn quick because we've recently seen a piece of art. Somebody sort of sketching out where individual Marvel characters could be in a theoretical theme park that would... Perhaps. Hypothetically, be be located yeah, in California, in say the Toy Story parking lot across from California Adventure, or excuse me, from the uh, Anaheim Convention Center. Nothing 
became of this. But it was just, you know, it was something evidently that was done right after the company acquired Marvel in in August of 2009. Let's call it a creative exercise, Jim. There we go. A creative exercise. You, know, you get a bunch of people with pencils, you know, and paper, and mm-hmm. they start drawing things. You don't know what's going to come up. Yeah. But it was, it was an intriguing <laughs> sort of a first pass. And again, it's important to point out why they talked about doing it in California versus Florida. And look, you and I have talked at length on previous shows about the master licensing agreement that MCA Recreation signed with uh, the Marvel Entertainment Group back in March of 94, which severely hampered how the Walt Disney Company could use uh-huh. Marvel characters at, at Walt Disney World. So, okay, Marvel characters are largely off the table for Florida uh, until Disney's lawyers did their due diligence and it's just sort of like, hey, this Guardians, they're not in the list, are they? So, imagine it turns his attention to California and the companies oversee theme parks, you know, but but again, why Hong Kong? Yeah. When that park opens in September of 2005, the company combined with the Hong Kong government, by the way, it's a very interesting setup there. The, the Hong Kong government owns 57% of that park. The Walt Disney Company owns 43%. And, and okay. between the two of them, they spent $14 billion building this thing. Wow. That's a lot of money. They open the doors and almost immediately Hong Kong Disneyland gets tagged with, oh, this is the clone park. This is the one that was done on the cheap. That if you look at the opening day set of shows and attractions, a lot of them are direct lifts from ride shows and attractions that have been previously done at other Disney sure. parks around the world. Well, you'd think for $14 billion, uh, you know, keeping costs down wouldn't enter, enter into that number, but I guess it does. We've talked previously about the Oriental Land Company executives and how they, they would literally walk through the parks and go, we want that, we want yeah. that, we want that. And evidently the Hong Kong government was as cautious. They selected Disneyland's castle and walked through each of the parks and, and selected what they wanted and then kind of got stunned by the fact that why aren't people responding to this as, as enthusiastically as we thought. So hmm. this is why in June of 2009, they announce a plan where they're going to increase the size of Hong Kong Disneyland by 25%. What this is going to entail over the next four years, they're going to add three new lands to the park. The first, which is the Hong Kong Disneyland version of Toy Story Land, opens at that theme park in November of uh, 2011. Second land, Grizzly Gulch with its centerpiece attraction, the Big Grizzly Mountain Runaway Mine Cars. That opens July of the following year. Do you have to use the word big with the word grizzly? <laughs> Well, I was because there's such a thing as a petite grizzly bear, like maybe mixed with a poodle of some kind. Like I don't. I actually was more intrigued by the other end of the name to the effect of runaway mine cars, as in okay, it is in a mountain, and the, the, the mine cars they run away, and supposedly they picked this name because of that infamous story about Space Mountain at Hong Kong Disneyland, how there's nothing outside of the building that indicates. That it's a roller coaster. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's like literally when they built this coaster, A, they had the coaster run throughout the entire land. So as you're walking toward the right, it's like, oh, that's a roller coaster. And then, you know, to nail that home, you know, the ride of the attraction is runaway, mine cars, roller coaster. You could die. It's going to be exciting. (laughs) You could die. It's going to be great. 
It's very subtle. Very subtle name. Anyway, a third and final a new land for Hong Kong Disneyland hadn't, wasn't even due to open until May of 2013, that mystic point. But the Hong Kong government couldn't wait to reveal what was next in the works for the Disney theme park they co-owned. So February 13, 2013, Hong Kong's financial secretary, John Tsang, in his 2013-2014 budget speech reveals, in the coming few years, Hong Kong Disneyland will launch a new nighttime parade and put in place a themed area featuring Marvel heroes, the first of its kind in the world. And just in case you're wondering, the parade that Sang is talking about is Paint the Night, uh, debuted at Hong Kong Disneyland in September of 2014. And then Mm -hmm. kind of the irony, given that Hong Kong got labeled as the clone park, but a clone of that parade ends up at Disneyland Park in California in May of the following year. But as for that themed area featuring Marvel heroes, first of its kind in the world, we actually have to wait till October 2013 before we get any specifics. It's on 7th of that month that Tom Staggs, the then chairman of Disney Parks, announced that construction of a brand new attraction, the Iron Man Experience, would begin in the Tomorrowland section of uh, Hong Kong Disneyland. Stag reveals that the Iron Man Experience would be a next-gen simulator ride, which was based on the technology that powered Star Tours, and that the queue space for this Marvel attraction actually would get its inspiration from Tony Stark's Hall of Armor, which, remember, Mm. uh, we just talked about opening in April of that same year, 2013, up on the second floor of Interventions. There's another crucial thing here to take into consideration about the timing of the Iron Man Experience, and that's that... Star Tours The Adventure Continues had opened two years previous. The Disney's Hollywood Studios version opened on May 20, 2011. And then the Disneyland Park version opened two weeks later. And given all the technical upgrades that that had been made to the original Star Tours, which, again, remember, January of 87, you know, in in Anaheim, Tokyo got its version in July of 89, and then Orlando got its in December that same year. We're talking crystal clear digital projection, which would then be enhanced by 3D glasses. Mm. So, Oh, this, 3D glasses. Yeah, yeah. Though so we have to get that list going again of what they call the 3D glasses and attraction, because it turns out for the Iron Man experience, they're known as a heads-up display. <laughs> it's a little optimistic, but all right. A little overselling there, but okay. Yeah, but... Star Tours had never been built at Hong Kong Disneyland. The long-range plan was that this, for the same park was that after the Imagineers finished producing the enhanced version of Star Tours, which George Lucas accidentally revealed was in the works as far back as April of 2005, that version of the Simulator would then be added to the Tomorrowland okay. section of the same. So park. the Adventures Continue version of it. That's it exactly. Okay. You know, and right, because that meant you didn't have to change out the film canister. Set up for the 70 millimeter projectors. Uh, more to the point, from day one, you would have incorporated where you pick up your 3D glasses and that sort of thing. But anyway, uh, Hong Kong Disneyland's expansion plan of 2009 gets announced. And so the decision at that time is like, okay, we're going to push the timetable for Star Tours the event to continue off by five years. You know, we're still at it to tomorrow. Five night. years. Yeah. Well, think about it. You know, they're not going to complete a mystic point till 2014 so let's get these you know these three lands are going to expand 
the footprint of the park by 25%, and then we'll go back and, and add an attraction to a existing land like Tomorrowland. And so they had an expansion pad. It was there from day one land. So it stands empty. So it's like, look, why don't we drop our Iron Man experience, which is going to use this next-gen simulator stuff, there? But here's the problem. Hong Kong Disneyland's version of Tomorrowland is really cartoony land. It has Buzz Lightyear, or had Buzz Lightyear Astro Blasters. It had a UFO zone, which was basically its star jets. Uh, it had Stitch Encounter, and a really toony version of Autopia. The only real thrill ride on this side of the park, which, as we mentioned earlier, was Space Mountain. So, the question at Imagineering now is, well, what do we do with the Marvel characters who live in the real world. I mean, think about it. Huh. It's a, not even, if you you know the MCU, it's it's literally, it's it's not a question of these characters live in New York. It's like, there's a wonderful scene in Civil War where Steve Rogers really admires Peter uh, Parker's pluck. And it's like, where are you from, kid? And it's like, I'm from Queens. And, and Steve Rogers is like literally proudly identifies Brooklyn. <laughs> So it's a very, very specific places that they come from. So it's like, all right, so how does, if that's how the Marvel characters are, how do you put Tony Stark in Hong Kong Disneyland? And yeah. turns out the answer came from Iron Man 2, which opened in theaters mm-hmm. May 2020. If you remember, that John Favreau film actually opens out in Flushing Meadow, the site of the 64-65 New York World's Fair. Tony Stark is putting on this elaborate show to announce the relaunch of the Stark Expo, which is something that Tony's dad, Howard, used to do back in the 1960s. He'd stage these elaborate shows that, for the public that would show off the latest and greatest when it came to Stark technology. John Favreau, the director of both Iron Man and Iron Man 2, made a very deliberate choice uh, when it came to the making Tony's dad, Howard Stark, who was played by John Slattery of Mad Men fame, look as much like Walt Disney as they could get away with. Really? Seriously. I always thought he was supposed to be Howard Hughes. Nope. No. In fact, what's so funny, if you go back and just sort of motor through the film for Iron Man 2, there are moments where when John Slattery is on screen at Howard Stark and you look over his shoulder, the posters are so clearly aped. Do you remember the TV special that Walt did out ahead of the opening? Oh, God, I'm looking at it now online, the uh, um, uh, Man in Space. Yes! All yeah. right. <laughs> oh, my God, that's Walt with the tabletop of what looks like Epcot behind it. Holy, I never realized that before. That is Walt. Production on Iron Man 2 begins in April of 2009. Production wraps after 71 days in, on July 18th of that same year. It isn't until August 31st of 2009, six and a half weeks later, that the world and John Favreau finds out that the Walt Disney Company has been in secret negotiations to acquire Marvel Entertainment for $4 billion. Oh, so he was doing this on the down low, not knowing anything about no, the No, uh, it's talks. not a question of uh, I'm kissing the, you know, the butts of my future bosses. He just made John Slattery's version of Howard Stark look and sound like Walt Disney because he thought it was a cool idea. That I, I, is great. Oh, also, Favreau is this huge Disney fan. He's the guy oh, yeah. for the better part of the a decade now has been trying to get the the Magic Kingdom made. I, I think we talked about this movie. It's it's basically Disney's version of Night at the Museum, where after the guests go home, 
the doors to like the parts of the Caribbean or the Haunted Mansion open and all of the animatronic figures come out and hang out in the park. See, I think this is where you need to get Cory Doctorow involved to uh, to add a little sci-fi flair to this. I think that'd be hysterical. Yeah, you know, just same thing, same thing. But also worth noting that when Disney acquired certain aspects of, of Fox for $71.3 billion, they acquired the rights to the Night at the Museum films. In fact, you can watch them right now on Disney+. Plus, oh, which really? technically, Len, removes any real roadblock for Mr. Favreau to finally make Magic Kingdom because that was always the knock. It's like... This is Disney's version of Night at the Museum. We're stealing from Fox. It's like, well, we don't have to steal anymore. We own them. So going to be interesting to see if production of this movie actually goes forward under uh, Bob Chapek. Because it it didn't under Iger. And it got really, really far along the development pipeline. It's always interesting to watch when a new CEO at Disney will sort of throw down to sort of show the kind of movies he wants to make. And remember, you know, one of the very first things that Eisner did when he came through the door in 84 is he's the one who greenlit Who Framed Roger Rabbit, which to this day, you know, is considered, you know, a a showcase of of special effects and animation and amazing performance by Bob Hoskins. So, yeah, going to be interesting if, if Favreau, who's looking for ways to make his mark, circle backs on this idea. But anyway, all right. So how is it that the Imagineers adapt the tech that was used for Star Tours, the adventures continue, and then turn that into an Iron Man ride? Len and I will get to that on the second and final part of the story on the next Disney Dish. All right, folks, that's going to do it for the show today. Please head on over to DisneyDish.BandCamp.com, where you'll find exclusive shows never before heard on iTunes, including live shows Jim and I have recorded in all four Walt Disney World theme parks. On next week's show, we're going to finish up this story of the first attempt Disney made at a Marvel attraction. You can find more of Jim at jimhillmedia.com and more of me, Len, at touringplans.com. We're produced fabulously by Aaron Adams, who will be providing fashion commentary during a showing of the original 110-minute film Head as part of The Monkey Files, a tribute to the band The Monkeys, on Sunday, January 30th, starting at 2 p.m. at Kennet Flash on Sycamore Alley in beautiful downtown Kennet Square, Pennsylvania, while Aaron's doing that, please go onto iTunes and rate our show and tell us what you'd like to hear next. For Jim, this is Len. We will see you on the next show.